A little girl sat on her daddy's knee, holding her broken doll. Her mother was fixing herself for a spree down at the community hall. And as that old wood fire died, she looked at her mother and cried. Don't play bingo tonight, mother. Stay home with daddy and me. Don't play bingo tonight, mother. We need your company. Poor daddy sits nightly with tears in his eyes. Just wondering if you will come home with first prize. Don't play bingo tonight, mother. Stay home with daddy and me. Hello, divers, and happy new year. Coming to you from Studio D, this is the Deep Dive Microcast, a brief look into things I find interesting, and I hope you do too. I'm Tom Feeney, raconteur, meat eater, and writer for Wang's Chop Movie Magazine. The month of December means many things to many people. Typically, most folks have their minds on the holiday season. However, the final month of the year holds other significant events as well. Did you know that the 2nd of December is National Fritters Day? Or that December 7th is National Cotton Candy Day? Sweet. The first week of the month is National Hand Washing Awareness Week. Now, I'm not sure who is unaware that hand-washing exists, but I do not wish to know them. Most importantly, though, at least in regards to this podcast, December is bingo month. No, I'm not talking about Bluey's little sister. I am talking, of course, about the game. You know, the one with all the cards and the balls with the numbers and all that. The game that Catholics just love to play in the church basement of the or the Elks Club every Saturday night. If you live in the United States, you're likely not that far from a bingo game. Now, it seems like bingo has been around forever. When I was a kid, my mom would spend hours playing a version of bingo called Skillo. It was just like bingo, except it was a giant wheel picking the numbers instead of a random ball. Which leads me to this question. What is bingo? Well, allow me to explain. The game is typically played with a set of numbered cards and a caller or host who randomly selects numbers and announces them to the players. Each player has a card or cards with a grid of numbers. And the goal is to mark off or cover specific numbers on their card as they are called. The game begins with the caller drawing numbered balls or using another random method to select numbers one at a time. 
players mark off the corresponding numbers on their cards. And the first player to complete a predetermined pattern, such as a, a line or a diagonal or a full card, shouts, BINGO! to signal their win. Probably not that weirdly, but they will say bingo. It's simplicity itself, but oddly compelling in its own way. It is also pretty much gambling. You spend money to obtain the cards, and winning the game can result in winning money or other prizes. And like any other game of chance, it can become an addiction. A person classified as a compulsive gambler is someone who continues to gamble despite the potential negative consequences. Now, the advent of online bingo and other internet-based gambling platforms has heightened the likelihood of developing a bingo addiction, primarily due to the increased accessibility. While many people initially engage in online bingo and other forms of gambling for entertainment, the ease of access can lead to compulsive addiction. This addiction not only poses a threat to the individual's life, but can also adversely affect the lives of their family and friends. But to be honest, that's really only the only dark side to the game I could find. Now, if you're interested in a more in-depth look at the mm, kind of sort of darker side of bingo, check out the YouTube channel Real Stories. There's an interesting documentary called The Risky World of Hardcore Bingo. It's an eye-opener, and a little depressing. As I said before, it seems like bingo has been around as long as anyone can remember. But realistically, the game we know of as bingo began around 100 years ago. Now, the first record of the game that I was able to find in my research was from the Huntington Press newspaper in Indiana. There was a feature in the April 11, 1923 edition that mentions the game. The bingo booth was a center of novelty. The awards at this booth, which would constitute the stock of a well-managed variety store, are only well worth the price. The object of the game, and which is intensely interesting, is to cover five numbers in a row on a, quote, bingo card using the like numbers called out by the judge. Men, women, and children flocked to this patient-trying feature. The excitement was immense, and at times verged on hysterics for some women who had but one number to fill and have some other person beat them out by one figure. The nerve-wracking suspense is terrible, and I wouldn't advise anyone with a weak nervous system or the same kind of mind to try it. Others will find it a good place to spend some time and coin. Of course, bingo didn't just spring forth from the ether fully formed. A game of chance named Lotto was being played in Italy by about 1530. In the 18th century, a home version called Tombola was created in Naples with the addition of cards, tokens, and the calling out of numbers. In the 19th century, a game like this was widely played in Germany to teach children spelling, animal names, and multiplication tables. The French game Le Lotto appeared in 1778, 
featuring 27 squares and a layout of 3 rows and 9 columns. 5 squares in each row had numbers ranging from 1 through 90, which led to the modern design. In the early 1920s, Hugh J. Ward created and standardized the game at carnivals in and around Pittsburgh and the western Pennsylvania area. He copyrighted it and published a rule book in 1933. The game was further popularized by Edwin Lowe. While at a traveling carnival near Atlanta in December of 1929, the toy merchandiser saw people eagerly playing a bingo-like game following Ward's rules, using dried beans, a rubber stamp, and cardboard sheets. Lowe took the game to New York, where friends liked playing it. The Lowe-produced bingo game had two versions, a 12-card set for a dollar and a $2 set with 24 cards. And by the 1940s, there were bingo games throughout the U.S. Now, the origin of the name bingo is unknown, but there are claims that the word echoes the sound of a bell. I'm not entirely sold on that one, though. Now, you can't talk very well about bingo without mentioning its perpetual proponent, the Catholic Church. It has become somewhat of a cliche that wherever you find a Catholic group or organization, a bingo cane can't be far away. Oh boy. Oh yeah, go ahead. Um, all pancakes aside, I really came here to talk about my son. I understand, but can I wait till after bingo? Bingo? That's my favorite game. I just can't remember what to yell out when you win. Bingo? That's my favorite game. I just can't remember what to yell out when you win. Oh, how about you just say, yay, I won. Bingo! Well, sometime in the early 1930s, an unnamed Catholic priest from Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, saw potential in bingo as a solution to finance the parish school. After purchasing several sets of the game and inviting parishioners to play, he faced the challenge of distributing prizes due to multiple copies of the same cards in each set. Needing a solution, he approached the game's manufacturer, Lowe, who recognized the fundraising possibilities of bingo, but realized the need for a greater variety of unique card combinations. Lowe enlisted the help of Columbia University mathematician Carl Leffler to create non-repeating numbered bingo cards. By 1930, Leffler had produced an impressive 6,000 different bingo cards. Lowe's entrepreneurial ventures extended beyond bingo as he developed, produced, and marketed the game Yahtzee ultimately selling his company to Milton Bradley in 1973 for $26 million. Now, the priest from Wilkes-Barre successfully saved his parish school with bingo, and by 1934, Americans were organizing 10,000 bingo games weekly. However, not all Catholics embraced bingo, viewing it as a game of chance unsuitable for a house of worship. Mayor Fiorello H. LaGuardia of New York expressed concerns about criminal involvement, leading to a temporary bingo ban in 1938. A few years later, the New York State Legislature restricted bingo to churches and synagogues, provided the proceeds were allocated to charitable 
causes. In 1942, the Archdiocese of New York temporarily halted all bingo games, but the law was later rescinded, reflecting a more lenient and fun-loving perspective on the popular game. Sure, there's the stereotype of the rabid bingo fanatic, some old lady with huge glasses, wearing a house coat with a half-finished cigarette dangling from her mouth, wheezing, BINGO! with her inflamed bronchial tubes. But these days, bingo is a global sensation. Online games like Bingo Blitz and Bingo Bash give anyone with a computer or a smartphone a chance to play, even if you're someone who doesn't like being in a large, smoke-filled church basement. The sheer simplicity of the game itself, coupled with the communal setting and the thrill of possible winnings, has certainly made bingo a quintessentially American pastime. Thanks for listening. If this is the first time you've heard this podcast, check out our past episodes available on almost all podcast providers and subscribe so you don't miss a single one. If you like what you hear, write a review. We'd love to know what you think. Or you can drop us a line at thedeepdivepodcast at gmail.com or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter feeds. You can find links to those and our awesome t-shirt store in the bio of our Instagram page. All clips used in this podcast are meant for educational purposes only and not to infringe on existing copyrights. The Deep Dive Microcast is part of the Deep Dive Podcast family and a production of Automaton Studios. Bingo was his name of B-I-N-G-O